The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. There's a rumor that the FAA is going to put a muzzle on friendly air traffic controllers. We examine the circumstances of a tragic crash at a mountain airport. State-of-the-art aviation headsets are considered. And the most frightening thing ever heard on UCAP, Dave gets musical. All this and more on Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 31, Dave Sings. Being a single guy working in the high-tech industry, I had a couple of dollars, and I ran out and bought myself a really cool set of David Clark headsets. In addition to Dave's comment, it would be a series of hand gestures. This is just more dirty tricks by the ATA, by the airlines. We'll be keeping our noses in the wind for this and see if the Jet A smell turns sour. What is it? This is 31, right? Uh huh. 31, okay. All right. 34 more and 30, 35 more, and we can apply for Social Security benefits. <laughs> uh, okay. That's a real positive note to begin on this morning. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 31 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. We're hanging out here this morning in the virtual hangar. Uh, let's see now. Quick weather check. Um, it's supposed to rain here in Boston for the next couple of days, and uh, might even get some cool thunderstorms. I like thunderstorms. That would be good. Uh, also with us this morning in the virtual hangar, who will tell us more about the weather as we go, Jeb Burnside, talking to us from Springfield, Virginia. Jeb is a freelance aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and also as a contributing editor to AvWeb Biz. Good morning, Jeb. Good morning, Jack. Uh, weather here is uh, summer. Uh, a little, uh, a little hot and muggy yesterday. Going to be in the low 90s today. Uh, no Summertime. And the living is easy. Uh, and the living is muggy. <laughs> and and that and that other person there demonstrating very graphically that he is a writer. Uh, <laughs> and a not giving up his day job. Is Dave Higdon? Dave is talking to us from singing to us from Wichita, Kansas. Uh, he is an aviation photographer, a senior editor at Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Good morning, David. Good morning, Jack, Jeb, and uh, all the aviators in the air and around the country and hanging out in their uh, in their podcast environment. And it's a sunny spring day here, and I think finally going to be a day where we don't get wet for some part of it. Well, so. you know, I was just, just going to say, uh, we could use some rain here, but I'm, I have mixed emotions about that. If it rains, I have to mow the lawn some more. So. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Well, we, we would be glad to ship you off some of the several inches above annual average that we already have had yeah, out here no, in the last no, couple no, of weeks. I'm, I'm happy with the way things are, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, appreciate that offer. But, uh. And I am Jack Hodgson. I am up here in Boston, Massachusetts, a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. And he is Jack Hodgson, so the Jack Hodgson. The, the Jack Hodgson. There is none other. Uh well, I like to think so. I'm not sure There's why. There's no Jack H like our Jack H. That's right. That's right. No longer limping, by the way. I, you guys, I, 
uh, you sounded like you're walking better. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, you're, you're a perceptive man, and uh, um, I'm I'm actually doing a lot better. I uh, uh, I mean, boy, compared to what you guys saw me doing at, at Sun and Fun, I'm I'm completely healed. Although I've, I, I no more Chester. No more Chester. No more Chester. Or bad jokes. That's right. That's no, right. <laughs> Yeah, at least that particular bad joke. We're moving on to new bad jokes here. And, yeah, we'll find more. That's right. Well, before we be, go ahead. No, the day is young. We'll find. More. That's exactly. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Before we move on, just want to remind everyone that we, in addition to listening to our podcast, we hope that you'll visit the Uncontrolled Airspace website. Uh, a lot of fun stuff there. There's show notes to all the episodes. There's a blog, which is kind of becoming more and more of a happening place with us making contributions and listeners adding comments. Uh, you can get the email address for sending us a listener email. You can get the telephone number for calling our listener line to leave us an audio comment, and you can add your name to the reminder list if you'd like to get an email reminder when there's a new episode of the podcast available. Uh, drop, drop, drop into the hangar floor and leave your mark. That's right. That's right. So that's at uncontrolledairspace.com. Um, following up on a, a little administrative thing from last episode, um, I asked everyone, to, because of my hard disk failure, uh, I asked everyone who had previously asked to be put on the reminder list to um, ask again so that I can restore that list. And I did receive a few. Uh, and uh, so I just want to remind again, um, if you ever added yourself to the reminder list and want to still be on the reminder list, then you need to send it to me again, because I lost it in my embarrassing hard disk failure, and uh, um, we'll, re- we'll rebuild that list. That's uncontrolledairspace.com. That's our website. Check it out. What's going on out in the world of aviation? Um, I wanted to, let's see, we got a couple of new pieces of email. Uh, the first one was from uh, Ron, who didn't wasn't real clear on where he's located, um, but he talked about Southern California, so I'm going to say it's Ron from, from California. Um, Ron writes about a, a, a somewhat disturbing thing, uh, he's, uh, and uh, before I get too deeply into this, do you, have you guys heard anything about this? And I have not, and I've been looking poking around trying to find the article he's referencing and, and Ron if you're listening if you could shoot us a reference uh, or a link to that article we'd be much appreciative Ron writes um, I just read an article about new procedures being implemented in Southern California uh, it uh, it details in many pages how the controllers, air traffic controllers, will not be allowed to say anything non-official, Ron writes. He says, like wishing us good day or have a good flight. Uh, also, if pilot pilots fail to, back, fail to read back something, uh, it's the controller's fault. I, I won't read every word of it here, but, uh, but basically, um, Ron is, is saying that he's heard that uh, that controllers are going to be Take you know being given no leeway to have any kind of casual or unofficial conversation on the radio, um, and and if that's true, it's really too bad because I've always considered one of the great positive things about air traffic control is when it's quiet and when circumstances permit, um, it's kind of a friendly thing. And uh, you know, J- Dave, have you heard anything about this? Uh, I haven't heard anything about this, but uh, in the past, I know that uh, controllers at some uh, en route sectors and some approach uh, uh, facilities have had uh, uh, management insist that they adapt to the international standard of uh, tree and fife for three and five. Uh, there, you know, being an opinion that three and five somehow can sound alike or get confused by by those of us 
listening to it, and particularly those uh, pilots for whom English may not be their first language. Uh, and I know that uh, some of the controllers were, you know, being retrained. This is the, the standard phraseology: tree for three and fife for five. Uh, but I haven't heard anything about this. Uh, you know, and what does it say about how conditioned we are to respond to stories about the FAA that my first instinct is doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, maybe we should just kind of sit on this one. We're not sure that it's real. Um, I mean, I'm sure Ron is is sent it along in good well, faith. I'm, um, sure, I'm sure Ron is, is uh, referencing a legitimate article, a legitimate story somewhere, which... Again, well, we're going to we're going to either get in contact with somebody from NATCA or we're going to yeah. hear from somebody from NATCA uh, that might be able to put some meat on the bones of this idea. Uh, so, uh, you know, leaving it alone now and coming back, but just the, the bug in my ear is like, wow, what uh, savvy management? Let's do something else to make the environment as as unpleasant and and and. Uh, uh, Cookie cutter like as possible. Bun burger bun comes to air traffic control. Yeah. Couple, couple of real quick points. One, nothing in that precludes the pilot from thanking the controller for good service, or, or in fact, wishing them a good day, or good day, etc. Um, and secondly, nothing precludes the the pilot from asking the controller a question. You know, especially if there's some downtime. I frequently wait for, you know, a low moment on the frequency and say, you know, by the way, you got a second for a couple of questions, and, and they're usually very responsive and, and very uh, helpful in, in their uh, uh, answering my questions. Generally speaking, those questions are operational in nature. Um, I, I'm going to wait and see uh, what this means, if anything. Uh, there's, there's, on one hand, it's, it would be almost impossible to enforce uh, without some supervisor listening to all the tapes or plugging in live. Um, on the other hand, it will certainly uh, detract, I think, from safety in the long run. So uh, let's let's take a wait and see. Yeah, yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll be keeping our noses in the wind for this and see if the Jet A smell turns sour. Yeah. There's one right there. I'm, you guys don't know this. I'm, cl- I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm rebuilding. I'm rebuilding the the intro to our show. We've got that little piece of music that we're probably going to retire at some point, and and so I'm collecting all these little isms, these little, you know. Um, and that was a good one, Dave. I'm going to definitely grab that one. Nose to the wind for the Jet A. That was a good one. Okay, we're that'll find its way into the, into the show opening. Oh man, you're going to make me self conscious. No, yeah, right, Dave. Yeah. You've been self. Conscious. <laughs> That'll be the that could happen. That could happen. That'll be the day. Thank you, Ron, for your email. Uh, we put the full text of Ron's email uh, in the blog. If you want to uh, read all of his words, and if you have a comment or some feedback about that, you can add it as a comment to the blog item, or you can send us uh, email uh, or a, a uh, audio comment. Um, that's at uncontrolledairspace.com. News of the day. Okay, all right. Well, here's the story that's just going to get our blood boiling this morning. I just know. Um, and uh, in the show notes, I wrote a, a cute TV ad from the ATA. Uh-huh. Who wants to tell us what oh, this is all about? Oh, you're talking about the new Fantasy Island show? Yeah, that's. I guess so. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, so can I I'll give let, us? I'll let Dave. Dave seems to be more riff-like today than uh, I am. <laughs> so I'll let Dave. So, Dave, first, oh, well, yeah. first, kind of give us, kind of give us a little uh, as straight as you possibly can description of what this TV ad that came from ATA is. is. Well, I haven't, have, you know, uh, upfront disclaimer, I've been trying to find it. I uh, haven't 
come across it on my local cable uh, yet, but it's one of the uh, CNN specialty divisions that specializes in the airport news. You know, it, things you're looking up at such and such airport, there's no delays around here. It's kind of getting geared to the business traveler. Uh, have not I seen it, think but it's, from the uh, it's a network that only really plays in airports and on monitors at airports. Ah, right. That's why I can't find it on my local cable. But I saw a it's, link it's, to it. So I saw a link to a version of it on the net someplace, and I didn't actually get a chance to listen to it. We'll dig it up and put it in the show notes. But kind of well, describe descri- what the, you understand. The description, the description of the ad is that it's kind of an animated uh, feature. Uh, when and when I hear animated, uh, you know, everything from uh, South Park and The Simpsons to classic Looney Tunes can, can say, fill the blank a, there. Another Mickey Mouse ad by the ATA. Ah. <laughs> Uh, you got the ears for that one, dude. Uh, and it uh, reportedly shows a, a business jet, you know, uh, and the voice coming out of it saying, you know, uh, get out of the way, guys. Uh, well, I've got a foursome in the back, and, or they've got a tee-off time we've got to get to, or something to that effect. You know, and I get this picture of the big, bad business jet muscling aside all those poor little fragile airliners full of people to get out and, and, and on the airways. And for any of us that have flown out of a Class B or Class C air, air, airport with uh, uh, airline traffic around, we know this is Fantasy Island stuff. It's the stuff of myth. It doesn't happen. Air traffic control segues us in and gets us out based on performance, and we're a lot easier to get out in a way uh, than you know getting a bunch of jet iron uh, sequenced and out in trail so that there's no weight turbulence problems and all this getting off the runway. So this is part of the Air Transport Association's effort to enlist the support of the traveling public uh, to their idea that uh, you know they need a tax break because they're just getting beat up on terrible by those big bad business jets. Uh, I, I got an editorial comment. I'll slide in here. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. Um, uh, mine would be, um, in, in addition to Dave's comment, it would be a, a series of hand gestures. Um, this is just uh, more, more uh, uh, dirty tricks, uh, more uh, um, uh, tactics by the ATA, by the airlines, to uh, use their bully pulpit, the ones that they have at all of their commercial airport gates, um, and uh, with a captive audience who are sitting there, you know, minding their own business, waiting on the airlines to get their act together, and they're saying, hey, guys, if you don't like sitting around uh, at this gate, uh, be sure and write your congressman to uh, support this. Uh, it's this all user. business aviation's fault. That's right. It's all, it's all general aviation's fault. It has nothing to do whatsoever with uh, the fact that we schedule more flights at these airports than the airports can handle during specific times. It has nothing whatsoever to do with everybody's trying to go in the same direction at the same time to the same airports. Uh, none of that has any relevance. Um, uh, let us, uh, you know, cut our taxes, um, and uh, everything will be nice and hunky-dory, and the sun will shine, and the birds will sing. Yeah. Now, uh, apparently, a number of the <laughs> alphabet organizations are are making their feelings known. I guess CNN is the network, the parent network of, I guess, the, the, the yes. primary place where this is being played. And uh, a lot of the alphabet organizations, perhaps most notably um, Ed Bolin of the uh, NBAA, has sent a, a no-kidding-around letter to CNN uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, explaining. Yeah, he's asked them to pull the. He's asked them to pull the ad uh, uh, on the 
basis that the ad is uh, not factual and uh, it, it, it is in error in so many ways, and that's in violation of CNN's advertising standards. That uh, they're not supposed to take ads that uh, for which they know that they are blatantly false, uh, and this is one where you know anybody that's actually been around GA and the airlines will know it's blatantly false. It's a it's a does does not happen in this world. Yeah, does not happen. Unfortunately, someone sitting in the waiting area just watching that monitor, you know, they're and they're probably well, pretty and, pissed about delays already, you know, because they're right, sitting there. And they, and, and the damage is done once this is out. You know, it gets viral, and, and uh, it's just more dishonest tactics, more more lies and half-truths from, uh, um, shall I say it, the, the corporation in this country with, with access to grind. And, and uh, um, it's just, you know, one more indicator of, of how badly the political discourse in this country has devolved. Yeah, I wouldn't well, necessarily more, one, lay the blame on corporations, though. Keep in mind that, that a lot of general aviation is is relatively big corporations too. Well, you know. I, 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 I don't disagree with you, but um, the, the fact is that most GA is not corporate, A. B, um, this is um, the big airlines, the, the Deltas and Americans and Uniteds of the world collaborating with basically one of their partners in crime, if I may. I was going to uh, say conspiring with yeah, the FAA. Yeah, well conspiring with the FAA on one hand, but collaborating with their partners in crime, being the, the CNN airport network, um, to put out distorted uh, or, or actually false uh, advertising. The part yeah, that isn't, I funny how we, how, how, isn't it funny how in today's political environment it's really hard to, to, to get anybody to stand up and say, no, that's a lie. Yeah. Really say, well, we may have missed smoke, or uh, he's not representing this properly. No, 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 no. That's a lie. Right. The thing I find doubly interesting about it is not simply that they've got this 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 piece that's just filled with lies. I mean, you know, uh, uh, blatant errors that. that favor the the airlines but that it's done as a kids piece this is the part i don't quite understand you think this was like intended to like disarm people so that they you know say oh it's just a little kids cartoon you know but it's in their head now i I think it's very uh you know i'm a little cynical about this but i think it's very clever because what it does is it changes the uh, texture and uh, rhythm of what yeah. is playing on on that CNN airports network, you know, from the monotony of real human beings and 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 maybe special effects in the ads and a lot of neat fades and dissolves in the news and tapes running across the top and the bottom and uh, then all of a sudden a tune comes on. Yeah. Okay. And it's it, it's a change of pace and people are going to stop and look up at it for a few seconds if not for the whole thing and that's go, oh isn't that a nice you know break in the routine that's a good point you may be right you may may have put your finger on it that's uh, I, I may be right I may be crazy <laughs> so I don't know what to say about this it's uh, it's outrageous well, and I know there's not anything for us to do about it other than tell our outrageous. friends I think uh, uh, Boland's on the right track I hope uh, and I, I I've seen Boland's letter. Um, I, I presume the other associations are reacting in kind. I hope they will, and I hope they will do it quickly. And uh, I hope this uh, uh, this kind of reaction uh, from within the industry, the general aviation community, continues on these. We have to call their bluff. We have to call well, them. I, 
look, looking right here from Ed's letter, uh, you know, the, and I'm going to read it straight out here, the, the letter to the, to the CNN folks. The ATA ad goes to depict a cartoon commercial airliner commenting to another commercial airliner that, quote, there's twice as many of them, meaning general aviation operations, as us nowadays, close quote. In sure. terms of causes of congestion, that statement, quote, there's twice as many, close quote, general aviation flights, is inaccurate and misleading. Census noted general aviation represents less than 4% of total airport operations at the nation's busiest airports. Uh, now, I know there's a lot more GA airplanes than there are airliners, but, you know, the average airliner flies, uh, you know, in excess of uh, uh, 13, 1,400 hours a year. Yeah, and I mean, the average well, GA airplane flies fewer than a hundred a year. Yeah, so there's no way you could do the math and make our average time fill up the skies against their average time. So, all right, well, we're gonna we could blather on about this for. <laughs> we could, yeah. we could, we could, well, we could have, we could, do a, we could continue with intelligent up. discourse about this for a long time. <laughs> That'd but, be a first. But, you know, uh, I mean, I guess it's just a lesson that we all need to kind of stay aware of this thing, um, that this is, well, there, this is there, a battle. You, and, uh, you just about put your finger on it, Jack. The lesson here is that none of us who have a, 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 a stake in this can afford to keep our mouths shut. That's right. Uh, and this is what we've come back to time and again, and this is where I'm going to stop beating the horse today. Today, uh, is that ads like this show why we can't be silent. Because they're out there pushing their inaccurate, cartoon-like fantasy information on a public that doesn't know better, and we do. So we have to make our voices heard as loudly and as frequently as possible, politely, logically, and, and, and again and again and again until this, in, until this is done. And it's not done until the president signs the bill. Ha ha, Jack fooled you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll just leave that as a mystery. One of the mysteries of uncontrolled airspace. Uh, what the heck are they talking about? Moving on. A uh, story in the news this last week, um, uh, a sad story, uh, about a, a crash at a mountain airport in North Carolina um, where a small plane, uh, this is a story from Associated Press, a small plane trying to land Saturday at a private mountain airstrip hit two airplanes on the ground, killing three people. Um and I, I'm not sure if there's anything we can add to this particular story, but it kind of got me to thinking about the whole subject of, well, first of all, the subject in general of landing at unfamiliar airports and, and sort of, um, uh, you know, I mean, what do you guys, you, you guys land, I, I occasionally a couple, do. A couple of things here. One, um, this particular airport, Mountain Air, which is near Asheville, North Carolina, uh, is uh, set uh, onto a flat mountaintop in that area. And there are some 4,400 feet MSL. Wow. Fairly significant uh, mountains in that area. I've flown in and out of there a lot of times. You have? I, far, the whole thing. Yeah, my ex-wife is from Asheville. <clears throat> um, and uh, this particular uh, uh, strip is very popular. It's a, it's a flying community. It's uh, uh, The scenery there is just fantastic. Oh, it's just uh, spectacular. Th- th- this particular day... Uh, and this was a, uh, a recently purchased uh, Columbia 400. It was the accident aircraft uh, with three people aboard. This particular day, uh, Diamond had uh, a few of its aircraft in there doing demos. Um, it was a good weather day, apparently. The uh, airport itself um, is, is a fairly short runway, I think 2,800-some-odd feet. Uh, 2,875. At, at, at a, at a 4,400-foot altitude, so... 
right away, just running the numbers, pilots need to be on top of their game. Uh, because it's on the top of a mountain, um, you have a much different sight picture um, when you're flying the pattern and, and turning final than you might otherwise have at other airports. So Yeah, this, this one's particularly sort of dramatic, exactly. too, because right. you, you come in over... Uh, you come in over uh, a depression between the mountains, and right. the terrain is actually drops off quite significantly at the uh, uh, approach end of the runway. Right. The the additional factor here, two additional factors. One, um, the uh, <clears throat> apparently they have a, a visual uh, uh, glide slope system installed, a VASI like system, and it's set for a glide slope of four degrees. The common uh, a glide slope, uh, especially on ILS approaches, it's set at three degrees. So right away, they're hinting around here that uh, you need a steeper than normal approach um, because of the terrain and because of the situation involving the, the airport's uh, uh, layout. Um, the uh, there's a lot of wind in those mountains uh, on occasion. There was an episode, an accident. Um, I don't remember exactly when. It was a, a couple uh, in a, on a Mooney, uh, very well known in my in my hometown in Tifton, Georgia. The, na- the names of, of the, the couple escaped me. They were very active pilots, uh, also going into mountain air, mountain air and uh, smacked the side of the mountain shore of the runway. Both of them died. Um, the, the two aboard that Mooney have a, a conference room uh, named in their memory at the Tifton, Georgia airport. Um in this case, this particular aircraft, this Columbia, uh, botched the landing. He at least he hit the runway, but uh, apparently was fast and lost control and smacked into some other airplanes. Uh, there were three or four parked airplanes that were damaged, if not destroyed. There was a fire. It was, uh, from what I understand, a major scene. Um, people, yeah, this was this was a people, bad one. Yeah, this people, was this a bad was, one. The airplane bounced on landing. Uh-huh. Uh, then it hit the other two airplanes, according to the FAA, and all three of them burned. Uh, high density altitude, even on a cool day, that's uh, a lot different uh, than in, than the uh, St. Petersburg area where the uh, two pilots on board hail from. But at the same time, one of them owns property there, and they were regular visitors to that airport. That was not, for them, an unfamiliar airport. Oh, okay. The... Uh, the um Two things going on here to really get to Jack's specific question about landing at unfamiliar airports. One, this was a recently purchased aircraft. Uh, I think it was an 06 airplane. Um, I don't know everything there is to know about the pilot, the owner, whether the, air, whether the pilot purchased the airplane new or if he just recently bought it, whatever. Um, a friend of I, believe, my- I believe the two doctors that died in a crash were partners in the airplane, yeah, and okay. one of them was the flying pilot. Were all three of the fatalities in the landing aircraft? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Correct. Yeah. The, the, the airplanes they collided with were unoccupied at the time. Um, a good close friend of mine, a contributor to aviation safety by the name of Tom Turner, routinely studies a lot of accidents like this, uh, specifically involving uh, Bonanzas, Debonairs, and Barons. And he has uh, correlated in, in numerous different ways the, um, the higher accident rates, shall we say, involving aircraft with recent registrations. Recent could be anywhere from up to you know a year and a half or so. In other words, the first year and a half or, or, or some period of time after 
taking possession of an aircraft after buying an airplane is, is a very uh, relatively uh, higher risk time. Yeah, first uh, hundred hours is yeah. the way it was explained to yeah. me. Uh, uh, going into Mountain Air, they have a video. The, 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 air, the airport management has a video that they ask uh, new pilots arriving at the airport to use. Uh, to view uh, several times, actually, to get the site pictures down and to understand why this airport is a little trickier than others, uh, which kind of gets to the whole issue of what do you do at an unfamiliar airport, and the, the quick answer is you research it. Uh, yeah, that's a, that, that's really the that's really sums it up in a, in a, in a nut there. Yeah. Get familiar with everything you can learn before you go. Uh, you know, if it, it even if that means calling out there and saying, uh, "Gee, you guys left or right traffic," uh, or as I've found in many airports around the country, uh, the traffic is always to the same side of the airport. Mm-hmm. It's not left, and you know, constantly right. for whatever runway, or right constantly for whatever runway. It's always on the same side of the airport, uh, Augusta. Augusta Municipal, where we used to base our Comanche. Uh, the pattern is always east of the airport. Uh, Jabara, uh, Colonel James Jabara, Alpha Alpha Oscar here in Wichita, it's always west of, because to get on the east side puts you in the approach path for Beach Field and McConnell Air Force Base. Right. So uh, you can you can see that occasionally going in there where somebody would be flying a pattern on the wrong side of the airport, and you kind of go, they're new here. <laughs> Yeah, well, of course we're you know we're there's always there's a lot of reasons for you know different patterns and in, in, in making a pattern on the same side of the runway regardless of the wind, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean of course so. we're always we're always you know required and and being smart pilots we always do familiarize ourselves with the airports that that are is our destination. Are there any sort of warning signs or kind of things that tip you off to the fact that this is an airport that I need to do extra special research on? You know, what, what, what sort of the general categories that people should look out for to make sure they do, they, they really do more than just read the airport directory, you know? Terrain. Terrain is the first indicator for me. If you're yeah. going to yeah. a flatland airport um, um, or, or one that uh, is in a rural area, you probably don't need to do a whole lot of research on it, but you still need to sit down and, and look at the airport, or I should say the runway specs and the field elevation and and things like that. Airnav.com is a great resource. They usually have um, pictures, uh, aerial shots of the airport itself. They certainly will have uh, uh, something from the airport layout, um, things like that. Uh, they'll have notums or, or, or uh, notes, I should say, relative to the airport that the FAA publishes. But if you're going into an airport that's in mountainous terrain, like, like near Asheville, North Carolina, uh, or you're going into something that's uh, in a metropolitan area like Wichita, yeah, you need to look at the airspace. You need to look at, at the topography. The same is true for coastal airports. Um, one of my favorite uh, little places to go to is uh, down at Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, the Billy Mitchell Field. And uh, if you you look at um, that airport, it's a, it's a nice runway. It's maybe 50, 75 feet wide, asphalt, uh, 3,000, 3,500 feet long, more than adequate for the average GA airplane. But one of the approaches is out over the water, out over the Atlantic, and you cross the beach before you get to the runway threshold. Again, you have a, an interesting little sight picture there. Oh, yeah, it the, changes dramatically when yeah, you're coming the, in over the water. And the wind can pick up, uh, especially coming uh, uh, from off the water, 
uh, and uh, what looks like initially a headwind uh, uh, landing on that runway can, in fact, be a tailwind landing hmm, because right. of the, the wind shifts around. Well, it's Peter, Peter Oneid at, uh, at Tampa. Uh-huh. Uh, the approach, you know, in over the ship channel there. Uh, Cedar Key in Florida. It's on an island. Uh, you swing out yes. back. Mobile downtown. Uh, down in, in, in Alabama, you come in over Mobile Bay for, from one of the approaches. Uh, and it all changes uh, the, the site picture some. Uh, operationally, the best thing you can do for yourself is, uh, is for me, a constant at non-towered airports. Uh, and that's start listening to the uh, Unicom about 50 miles out. Mm-hmm. Because you can immediately start to pick up chatter from people that are working the pattern, people that are coming and going, and get a feel for how busy the place is, which runway they're using, uh, sometimes long before you can actually talk to Unicom there and get their official word on which runway is active. Yeah. Right. I'm, I, I'm, another great example, which I'll be landing at tomorrow, I'm going down to Florida. Uh, I'll be landing at the Venice, Florida airport. And uh, Oh, there's another one. Yeah, the, one of the... Uh, it's right next to the Gulf of Mexico, and one of the approaches is out over the water. Um, going in there at night is uh, very interesting because if, when you're on downwind, you're out over the Gulf, and there's nothing there. There's no sight pictures. There's no lights. There's no nothing. You have to be on your game. The, the punchline in a lot of this, though, is, A, you still have to fly the airplane. B, um, you still have to... Um, fly a normal approach in, in many cases. You have to be on speed, you have to have the airplane under control and configured correctly, and you have to aim for the first part of, portion of the runway. Um, just because the runway is, is uh, a different one or is at a, a higher altitude or, or there's mountains nearby or something like that, uh, you still have to fly your normal approach. And if you can't get your airplane, let's use, say a 172 or a Cherokee or something, if you can't get that sucker in and out of a 1,500-foot paved strip with, with comfort, go get some dual. Go hook up with an instructor and uh, um, figure out what you're doing wrong, figure out which speeds you should be flying, figure out how the airplane should be configured, and get some practice. Um, there's no reason. Um, I can get my Bonanza in and out of 1,500-foot strips uh, on, a, on a relatively moderate day without any issues at all. Uh, there's no reason that uh, some of these other pilots with other airplanes can't do that. Also, yeah. Uh, the uh, you know the bottom line is you, you got to be prepped. I mean, it's it, right. you need to learn the information like we were saying up front. Uh, you know, looking at the looking at the uh, chart for the terrain indicators, uh, looking for any uh, special conditions. Uh, sometimes you can find special information on the uh, instrument approach plates for airports if you have them. If you have them, that's one of those things where uh, it's more likely if you're an instrument pilot than if you're a VFR-only pilot. Keeping Um, in mind also that all of the uh, um, government instrument approach charts as well as uh, airport taxi charts, etc., are all available online for free, both from AOPA and from the FAA's website. Right, that's what I was going to say. Uh, Just going to say that, yeah. If you're a member of AOPA, you can get them in one format. You you don't have to be a member to go to the FAA site, uh, because we're all members. 
Yeah, and I, I, it's transparent. Pay dues. Yeah, it's transparent to me on the AOPA side. I'm 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 not sure that uh, you have to be a member, but you you may be right. I don't. Yeah. Well, that's pretty interesting. So I guess the the punchline here is um, if the airport that you're going to, I mean, you always want to prepare yourself. You always want to familiarize yourself with your destination airport. But if that airport is in any way, you know, unique or interesting, if it's not a regular airport or regular runway surrounded by relatively flat, relatively dry ground, that you want to make take extra precautions to make sure that you've familiarized yourself with the situation. Uh, yeah, it, it's good to get to know even ones that are on relatively flat ground and far away from water or mountains, uh, because they can have some curious things. Like my my little uh, uh, industrial airport favorite over here in Southwest Wichita, Dead Cow International, uh, seventy one kilo. Uh, there are wires on the north end on approach there that forces the threshold displacement of three hundred feet. Uh, that you know that doesn't really show up on the chart. Yeah, but it, it it is sure a factor when you're coming across there, aiming for the numbers. On on it's only twenty five hundred feet to begin with. You displace the threshold, and you're down to twenty two. Uh, then there's a nice long overrun and into a, a dry pond, and then industrial <laughs> buildings past that. Are the wires and we have are, do they have uh, like the you know little hanging you know pyramid orange pyramid things on them to make them visible from the air? No, no. Okay. And they are lower than the wires on either side of the runway. They actually uh, dropped uh-huh. uh, wires down about ten feet from the wires on either side of the runway. So there you go. Just the fact that there's a displaced threshold is a warning sign that something's going on. And uh, That's right. That's right. Uh, Benton, Kansas at, uh, at uh, Lloyd's Chairman Field. Uh, uh, I think that's 13 kilo uh, or one kilo one. I'm going to screw this up. But uh, they have a, a displaced threshold off when you're approaching from the north. Because uh, about a wingspan north of the end of the runway is a county road. Mm-hmm. And uh, you come dragging it across there uh, too low, and you can you know, meet up with every, any, anything from a, a, an MGB to a semi-truck, depending on how you're dragging it in. Mm-hmm. And that, that's happened. Yeah. Uh, so you, know, you just need to be aware, aviate learn and uh you know if it's going to be hot and it's a high elevation airport you may want to think about getting there as early in the day as possible yeah well moving on um moving on so there's what's dave what's what jeb what's it with dave and the singing today i don't know he must be in an unusually good mood or something i don't understand it i i uh um I'm about to, to hang up and, and call the local uh, authorities. In That's right. Call. An intervention I'm, is required, right? It's Thursday. What can you say? The weekend's coming up. That's as right. if that means anything. That doesn't mean a thing to me. So there was a story, another story this week, um, and I'm not the IFR guy. Uh, something about um, the FAA has made a change to the rules that has somehow made a whole bunch of previously GS GPS certified IF, uh, or, or IFR certified GPSs not anymore? What? Well, what basically, what they did is they published a uh, revision to an existing advisory circular, and they at the, si- at the same time basically published changed language in the uh, aeronautical information manual, which made it appear as if um, GPS units previously approved 
to sub as substitutes for DME and ADF receivers uh, were no longer so approved. Um, there's a lot of machinations going on here. There's a lot of uh, egg on a lot of people's faces. Basically, the, a- the FAA, as I understand it, <clears throat> excuse me, um, did omit some some language that had, had been previously put into the uh, uh, the AIM. And, and the, the simultaneous publication of the AC, the, the new AC, um, set off a lot of alarm bells. Uh, the punchline is that the AC is, is mainly designed uh, for those uh, higher-end aircraft uh, flying s- uh, standard instrument departures and standard uh, terminal arrivals um, at, at higher speeds and, and required navigation airspace, RNP airspace, I should say. Um, that yeah, there's there's been some changes um, for the average guy bouncing around uh, with a, a KLN 94 or something like that in a Skyhawk. There's no changes, um, and and FAA is working with industry to come up with appropriate language to uh, to kind of roll things back. Uh, that's so my mean, short, that's my so short take on this. So you mean the guy with the KLN 94 can still use his uh, GPS? Uh, as a substitute for uh, ADF and DME. That is correct. Huh. That is correct. It, it doesn't. It, it, it's it, the way the way this all came about. It was very misleading. Uh, the FAA uh, should have some egg on its face for the way that this was uh, presented to the public. They did not communicate to industry what what these changes were going into it. Um, AOPA. How unusual. Uh, yeah, AOPA. Yeah, how unusual! The AOPA saw this and and uh, uh, put some th- things on its website, querying the FAA and, and uh, kind of taking them to task for this interpretation. It was subsequently picked up by the aviation media, and there was a lot of head scratching going on. Uh, yesterday or earlier in the week, the uh, Aircraft Electronics Association, which has a very uh, close friend of mine, but also someone who's very good. At, at kind of picking through the regulatory minutiae at the FAA, pointed out that really there hasn't been a whole uh, sea change here. Um, it, it's really just kind of a, a, a mishmash of mistakes on, on a variety of people's parts. And uh, in fact, no, <clears throat> excuse me, no real changes have been made in policy, especially with respect to using GPS as a substitute for DME and ADF. That, and, and the funny thing is that that AC was uh, revised AC was issued in March, right. and it took all this time for this uh, for this uh, tidal wave to start and subside, with, and and shook up a lot of people. I mean, yeah. they were talking in the neighborhood of twenty six thousand GPS uh, uh, units out there uh, that potentially no longer and, were considered in compliance. You know where that number came from? That twenty six thousand. That came from Jeppesen, <clears throat> which is the number they gave for active subscriptions for the units that were supposedly now no longer allowable uh, to substitute for DME and ADF. That's a clever way to come that's, up with a number. That's the way they came up with that number. But the punchline in all that is everyone knows that there are, there are any number of other units out there <clears throat> for which the pilots and owners don't have continuous subscriptions that they just go out and update on a periodic basis right so there's a lot more and and in some some of these uh, airborne ad uh, excuse me some of these airborne gps units you can in fact use them for ifr navigation as long with an out-of-date database as long as you verify the information 
kind of depends on what the AFM supplement says, POH supplement, I should say. But uh, so there's, uh, in my mind, more than twenty six thousand units that I would think. I, I was, yeah, much much more than twenty six thousand. Uh-huh. So um, in the end run, in the end run, it was a lot of sound and fury, signifying a lot less than the sound and fury. Well, yeah, it's just one more abject lesson, if you will, object lesson that. Uh, you, you, <laughs> okay, I like that. You gotta, abject you object. Gotta, you got to pay attention to what the FAA does. In, in unintended consequences that actually turn out to not be consequences at all. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. The, the, the trick, though, is that they're, they're, uh, they are yeah. tightening up um, on the way some of these airborne units are used in, in RNP airspace uh, and specifically in the IFR environment. Um, and it's going to get worse before it gets better as um, – <laughs> It brings us full circle here this morning. As uh, uh, congestion uh, continues and as the airlines beat the, uh, the uh, delays drum and, and uh, um, try to reserve their own airspace. I'm not going to take – I'm not going to pick up on no, that You're one. not going to take that bait? No, I'm not going to do that again. Okay. Probably not a bad we got another piece. I, I, of, I want to keep my singing voice sharp. <laughs> we got another piece of email this past week. Uh, this is from uh, Zach. Zach is from California, and uh, Zach writes, uh, "Hey, uncontrolled airspace gang." He says, "My name is Zach. I'm a 10-hour student pilot out of Santa Monica, California." Right. What? No, a new student pilot. I love it. It's yeah, great. Yeah, absolutely. And he says, I'm in the market for headsets. And I have to admit, there are... Look at this. Once again, my computer goes to sleep as I'm reading an email. Um, he says, I have to admit... <laughs> have to admit hey, just shows how entertained your computer is. There are lots of choices out there. He says, basically, every time I go for a lesson, I get one that's really soft, or the squelch is all messed up, or they're falling apart. And hey, I'm going to need some eventually, so I'm wondering what kind of head got, headsets you guys use and what you think are some of the best and what I can get for a reasonable amount of money. Um, I well, that a reasonable amount of money question narrows it down really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me put a shameless plug in first. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Aviation Consumer, in a recent issue, I think it was the May uh, 2007 issue, did a very detailed um, uh, test of a variety of headsets on the market these days. They looked at all the tech specs. Um, they used a uh, high-end audio lab to do all of this. Uh, the gentleman who wrote the article uh, did the research is, is another close acquaintance of mine. Uh, it's a very good, well-researched piece. I'm not going to give you the punchline from the piece, but if, if you have Aviation Consumer uh, from that, um, um, that, that issue of Aviation Consumer, I should say, uh, or you want to look that up, it's online at the AviationConsumer.com, AviationConsumerMagazine.com website. Uh, and I'll shut up with a shameless plug. When I first learned how to fly, like 15, whatever it was, 15 plus years ago, um, being a, a single guy working in the high-tech industry, I had a couple of dollars, and I was very pl- proud that I ran out and bought myself a really cool set of David Clark headsets. And yeah. then back then, that was, you know, kind that of, you know. hot lick, yeah. Yeah, there was, the, the, you know, that distinctive green hard plastic headset that, uh, you know, you, that, that was cool. And I uh, used those uh, more or less happily for many years. And uh, and then somewhere along the line, I uh, I 
replaced um, I, with them with a, a pair of uh, Flycom, I think it is, Flycom headsets, which were much more economical um, and, in, quite frankly, much more comfortable. Uh, the, the David David Clark's got a lot of their uh, noise attenuation by just being really tight on your head, just really kind of squeezing those pads around well, that, your ears. That, 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 that brings me to my, my put for Zach. Yeah. Uh, is it uh, research... You know, and I don't buy anything uh, of this consequence without doing some research. And uh, the Aviation Consumer article, and if you do keyword search uh, on, on any of the search engines, you can find out other articles and other information. Uh, it, you know, passive attenuation is the amount of noise canceling or noise uh, dampening that you're going to get without an active noise reduction set. Uh, the active attenuation, the decibel level is what you're going to get with it. If you're looking at active noise reduction headsets in these days, there's really no reason not to. Yeah, exactly. uh, you want to look at both of those numbers uh, because the uh, the closer they are together, Generally, the the less you're going to have to worry about if the battery goes dead and you can't replace it. Right, because that's sort of uh, where I was where I was headed with my little story here is that uh, you know that I haven't actually bought a new pair of headsets in probably eight or nine or ten years, and I still fly with my Flightcoms, which are passive uh, noise can, you know, noise attenuation. But headsets are really different now than they were they ten really years. Are. You know, I, I uh, um, first of all, I would strongly recommend uh, that Zach get an A and R headset. Uh, uh, the uh, the automated noise reduction type of headset, uh, <clears throat> and that doesn't limit his choices. There is a a, a oh, wide just range a boatload. Of, of choices out there. Um, personally, uh, I fly with a Bose X. Uh, that's my personal headset in my airplane. It's it's a thousand dollars. It's not for everybody. Um, if uh, uh, you're so inclined, Bose generally has at Sun and Fun and, and at Oshkosh. Uh, a deal where you buy four headsets, you get the fifth one free or something like that. And if, what you do is you get some... some That's because there's so many five-seat airplanes out there. Right, exactly. Well, you get you get some some, some pilots you know together who, who uh, ah, okay. want to pool, uh, pool right. your resources headsets, and buy the group. And, and you go buy the four and you get the fifth one and you divvy them up and that works out to 800 and change or so per headset. And that's a, that's a pretty good deal. Um, I have uh, also some light speeds, uh, some older generation light speeds. I think 20XLs are the uh, uh, the model number I have, and I don't even think Lightspeed makes those anymore. Uh, uh, David Clark has a great line of A&R headsets. Sennheiser, uh, there's there's just a laundry list, as I say, of, of good A&R headsets out there. Go to an air show. Go to if you're uh, uh, in the on the East Coast, come to the AOPA open house this coming weekend. Um, you'll be able to, to visit headset manufacturers and, and try on their different models. Come well, to, keep, come, keep, come since you're in California, uh, Zach, keep your eye open for a show out there. Yeah. But to, where, where this is going is you're really best off to try them on. Exactly. Uh, all the facts and figures, decibel reductions and battery life and, and, and sound attenuation, uh, the acoustic qualities, that's all well and good. But some of the most highly recommended headsets that uh, it's been my uh, opportunity to try out didn't fit my head good, uh, to put it bluntly. And it's not because they were poorly made, uh, but just because the way my ears and head are shaped, they just didn't fit worth a dime for me. Uh, I've got a pair of, uh, of David Clark, old David Clark passive uh, headsets 
that we inherited when we bought our Cherokee uh, years ago. They came with the airplane. Uh, since then, I've bought kits from Headsets, Inc., and converted them to uh, uh, active noise reduction headsets. Runs on 9-volt batteries, or you can plug them into a ship's power converter. Uh, so for a guy running, doing flight instruction, the 9-volt battery thing uh, is going to be really good. They work really well. The amount of sound attenuation that you get with the, uh, with the uh, system working is excellent. The audio quality is quite good. The downside is that if the battery goes dead, they suck as passive noise, <laughs> exactly. as passive headsets, because to make room for the electronics that you put in when you convert them, you have to take out most of the passive sound absorption material. Uh, the, the headsets that I fly with most often, though, are a set of Sennheiser. Uh, they've since superseded this model, but it was the uh, uh, 300 series, uh, active noise reduction. Uh, they're excellent uh, their audio quality is just amazing uh, but they, you know Sennheiser makes microphones and speakers for the studio recording business so uh, you know they start out really from a high level of expectation uh, and these run on a four pack of double A so I use rechargeables in them uh, what I really like about them is that they're light they're fairly comfortable uh, the ear cups are big enough that they don't make my uh, uh, ears feel like they're being pinched and the passive noise reduction numbers on them uh, uh, are among the best of even some of the passive only headsets so if you do lose a battery uh, you're not you're not, uh, uh, you know, going deaf and having to shout just to be heard or turning right. the radio volume right. back up. But, but, but Jeb's right, man. Get ANRs. Well, uh, now wait a minute. Let me just kind of let me just go back a step here and talk about this because you know we here at Uncontrolled Airspace are advocates for the frugal student pilot. Um, uh, these expensive, pricey ANRs are, are overkill for the ten-hour student pilot, aren't they? One word. No. No. One word. eBay. Uh huh. Um, I was going to say, get, shop get a, for the used or yeah, get a used get a used uh, headset. Um, you can still get these conversion kits from yeah. Headset Inc. Right. You can buy a nice set of uh, uh, high quality passive uh, headsets, and I think it was uh, you know the price may have changed, but I think it was 170 bucks for the kit to convert them. Right, and, and it took me about three hours to. Everything's do the job. relative here too, in that. Uh, you need a good headset, period, for safety period. reasons, for comfort peer, for comfort reasons. Um, and Zach's going to keep flying. I mean, and, you know, I, I can hear in his this, voice already. Yeah, this is an investment <laughs> over the over time. I, I'm not suggesting you go out and plunk down a grand for a Bose X, um, but you do need to get a decent A&R headset. It'll make uh, the whole experience a lot more comfortable, a lot more pleasurable. You will be amazed at what you uh, can hear that you've been missing before from ATC, you will oh, certainly be able to hear better, in my mind, uh, absolutely. what's going on with the airplane. Well, you'll be able to turn the radio volume down right. to a point where it's not overdriving the headsets just for you to be able to hear them above the engine noise. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the big thing is finding a set that are comfortable on your ears, uh, that fit on your head because remember, Zach, you 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 may wind up wearing these things for several hours at a stretch. Uh, so you know, it's, if you can fly with them, all the better. But put a set on and see how they feel initially, and then try to leave them on for ten or fifteen minutes and see how they settle in. Uh, uh, pay attention to the uh, passive noise reduction numbers, uh, even when you're looking at. 
active noise reduction systems. But shop around. You can probably find some good secondhand ones, uh, you know, or you can buy a good set of passive ones and convert them. Yeah. yeah. Two, two other real quick points. Okay. Uh, Just one two. is uh, customer uh, service. Um, after the sale, light speed is very good. David Clark has set the industry standard. Bose is very good also. and I'm Sennheiser sure, is good. I'm sure the other companies do a very good job also. Um, Lightspeed in the past has had a number of upgrade paths when they bring out a new model. Uh, it's obviously to their benefit to, to, to sell them, but uh, trade-in values are, are pretty good for some of these older ones. You could go buy a used one um, from somebody, a uh, used Lightspeed, for example, and, and probably trade it back to, to Lightspeed for the same amount you paid for it and get a brand new one for not much more coin. Um, the second point is batteries. Yeah, um, when the batteries fail, it, it, uh, it kind of reverts to a, a, a very bad passive noise reduction headset. Carry spare batteries. Yeah. I, all of my headsets use AA batteries. I have more AA batteries in my airplane than some convenience stores. <laughs> so he's not he's 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 not kidding. I've seen I'm, him uh, sell to Japanese tourists. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, I, you know, and I, I carry cameras with me when I'm airborne, and uh, I had CD players in the past, and all of these consume AA batteries. So I carry a bunch of AA batteries, flashlights, etc. Uh, and if if a headset uh, battery set craps out on me. Uh, within two minutes, I can have the batteries changed, and they're good for another six hours. Uh, so I'm mean, sixty hours, or should should say. So it's it's not uh, it's not a problem to just carry a pack of double A's with you. Okay. Well, even once you go ahead, even if you're renting, just throw them in your flight bag. Yeah, yeah, good point. Well, once again, reaching the end of our allotted time here. Any uh, final shout outs here? What's going on? You mentioned uh, the AOPA. A- oh, my God, uh, what happened there? I don't know. What was that? Uh, that was me going Oh, I see. Uh, AOPA is this coming weekend, <laughs> right? AOPA's open house is uh, this weekend. Um, I guess it's Saturday or Sunday. I forget which. Saturday. This week, Saturday, June 2. Saturday, June 2. Uh, in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, fly in, drive in. If you're flying in, um, hmm. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of people going to be doing the same thing. So get the uh, NOTAM. Get the NOTAM. Read the NOTAM. Carry the NOTAM with you. Additionally, for those of you flying into the Frederick area, pull out a chart, a sectional chart. You're look getting at it. awfully close to the ADIVs. Well, no, you're you're very close to the Camp David uh, prohibited airspace. Oh, and, both of them. That's and right. If, if our president is. Uh, um, uh, at Camp David, licking his wounds this weekend, um, <laughs> uh, uh, that place will be active. It will be expanded, and they will violate you. They will meet you at your airplane upon landing. Uh, for for East Coast guys, Mid Atlantic guys, um, the AOPA flying is a is a very good event. There's a lot of seminars. There's a lot of vendors. You can look at their wares. You can try on headsets. Uh, you can kick tires. Uh, uh, you can get a tour of the AOPA facility. Highly recommended. Right. Terrific. J- uh, Dave, any shout-outs? Anything going on? New- Newton, Kansas, the uh, Jayhawk wing of the Commemorative Air Force, sponsoring a all-day uh, event at uh, Newton. That's Echo Whiskey Kilo, Newton, Kansas. Uh, it's about 20-odd north of uh, Wichita property, called the Wings of Remembrance Fly-In. 
They're going to have military reenactors there, some uh, military ride, military uh, aircraft rides of the vintage sort from the CAF. Uh, there's a uh, Boy Scout-sponsored pancake breakfast uh, Saturday morning. Pancakes. This is June 2. There's a... Uh, Pilot uh, food. <laughs> there's another. There's a lunch sponsored by the local uh, EAA chapter, Chapter 88. Uh, burgers and such on the grill. Uh, there's going to be flying all day long. Uh, the, uh, the 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 events is a lot of fun. Yeah, so, and that's uh, that's which weekend this week? You know, this that's this coming weekend, June two. June two. Okay. The, the, the only other thing I would add uh, is y'all be careful out there, especially tomorrow and Sunday, because I'll be flying. <laughs> oh my God! Clear the airways between the NTSB Florida and DC. The NTSB already has a go team standing by. There, there we go. There they're we go. just waiting for the call. Well, if you want to check up on Jeb and find out what he's working on and what's going on. TSA is standing by as well. (laughs) You can learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com. Our good friend and uh, and uh, vocalist Dave Higdon uh, <laughs> at davehigdon.com. David, do you have any like MP3s of your of your musical performances there? I think this is something. Yeah. You <laughs> You've already got writing and photography. We just need to add music. You'll become a true multimedia uh, phenom yeah. there. Right? Where's, where's Winbrand when you need him? Right. That's right. That's yeah, right. really. We'll have to add somebody you to that can actually play an instrument other than drums. That's right. And I am Jack Hodgson. Learn more about my work at jackhodgson.com. Visit us. <laughs> He is Jack Hodgson. At the, apparently, there's something going on that I don't know about here with this. The, the Jack Hodgson. The Jack. There's no Jack H like our Jack H. And learn more about all of us at uncontrolledairspace.com. Thank you, everyone, and we'll talk to you again next time. Don't forget to aviate. And yet before this evening is over, you might give me the brush. You might forget your manners, you might refuse to stay And so the best that I can do is pray Luck be a lady tonight Luck be a lady tonight